Welcome to WVU Marketing Horizons, hosted by Ruth Stevens and Cindy Greenhouse. We are grateful to WVU, who offers renowned online master's degree programs in marketing communications. And this series is presented by the Reed College of Media as part of their ongoing marketing series. Thank you for joining us today. Cindy, thank you for introducing Brian Hunt to our podcast today. As you know, Brian is a longtime broadcasting ad sales exec, but he's made a point of becoming expert in CTV, namely connected TV. These are those ads that we see on streaming channels like Hulu, Disney Plus. They're highly targetable and they're showing great result. Just so our listeners know, Brian is head of OTT, CTV, ad sales for Sinclair Media, and that's the second largest television station owner in the country. So I'm really excited to get Brian in here to tell us what's the big deal and where things are going with this really interesting new marketing medium that's growing rapidly. So let's welcome him. Thrilled to invite him in. Hi, Brian. Hi, hi. how are you? I'm uh, excited to be on uh, the podcast today. Looking forward to some uh, entertaining questions. Great. Well, you know, I had the great privilege of uh, participating in a webinar with you on this topic, and it just was so eye-opening for me, um, not coming from this background. And I think some of our listeners may also be new to this uh, new channel for them and wondered, would you just take a minute or two and, and, and you know, say, how does connected TV, CTV really work? And can, can we actually target by household? Like when I'm on my streaming TV, am I seeing an ad that's different than Ruth or different than you? Yeah. So first, let me start with CTV and what that means. Uh, CTV stands for connected television. It means that that ad impression was actually viewed on a television set itself. And there's basically three things that you need uh, in connected TV for this marketing channel. You need an internet connection. Second thing is you need to pick a streaming enabled device. And the third thing is you pick your content on that streaming enabled device. Now, there's four types of streaming enabled devices. There is uh, gaming consoles, right? So Xbox and PlayStation. There are streaming sticks such as Roku stick or Amazon Fire stick that you you pop into the back of your television set uh, in the HDMI connection. There are OTT boxes and that would be Apple TV. Roku also makes a small uh, box. And then of course, last but not least, there are the smart TVs themselves. And then on the content side, there are three very distinct pieces of content. Uh, The first are subscription services. These are services such as Sling, where it kind of mimics your traditional cable service. So for $35 a month, you get a lot of similar cable channels on there. There's Fubo, there is uh, uh, Paramount Plus and, and many others. And then the second category are apps. So every network or brand, you know, has an app. So CNN also has an app, which you can buy just that network or brand directly. Or you maybe, uh, you know, you don't subscribe to it. They may put some content that's free up there that you can view. 
Uh, and then when you get to a certain point, you may need to either purchase or be authenticated as a subscriber of a, a paid service, such as Sling or even a, a cable service. And then the last group uh, that's very specific and new to the OTT category are free ad-supported apps. And, it, and, and these are you know, important and they're owned by big media companies. These are apps such as Pluto that's owned by Viacom CBS. Uh, there is Zumo that's owned by Comcast. Um, there is Tubi that's owned by Fox. And then we own a, actually an app, Sinclair, called News On, which is 300 uh, local ABC, NBC, Fox, local uh, broadcast news casts that are on uh, Roku and Amazon Fire. And, and so, you know, a lot of these big media companies own these free ad-supported services because they realize that, you know, they're an important piece of sort of the marketing funnel. You may have one or two paid subscriptions, but many people have more than one and you're going to have a couple that are sort of unpaid uh, free ad supported services. And, you know, they're super high quality. They've got news and, you know, entertainment on there as well. So that's kind of the ecosystem for, you know, for connected TV. That is the most cogent and helpful overview I've ever heard. Thank you. Now, for marketers, which is us and our listeners, what what does this all mean? What are the advantages and disadvantages of this high growth, very complex new media channel? Yeah, well, it has digital-like qualities to it, right? So in a connected TV um, environment, we are able to uh, target. Um, in fact, we have uh, our particular platform has literally 30,000 different segments. So we have people like Equifax or Experian or TransUnion. So, you know, if you're trying to, you know, market to a specific, you know, for mortgages or for credit card loans or whatever the specific is, we can actually reach people who are in the market for that based on some of the third party data that we have. And it's called a DFMAN side platform. And we actually fully integrate it with, uh, in our case, uh, TransUnion, which owns a company called um, True Audience that is specific to CTV. So we link up all segments from Oracle or Lodeme or, you know, Experian or other, you know, data sources through that. Um, so it's, it's a little complicated on the CTV side because in connected TV, there's no cookies, right? It's a television set. So uh, that's why the targeting can be a little, little more important. But the, the biggest factor, I think, and, and one of the reasons that connected TV is growing, and you're seeing, you know, it grow as sort of a, a, a marketing vertical, is 65% of Gen Zs and millennials have at least uh, one OTT subscription and 65% have four or more if they're a Gen Z or millennial. And so, you know, people think of millennials, right? They're 40 years old now. And so these are your prime consumers. These are people getting mortgages and loans and buying products and services. And so if you want to reach this group, this is kind of how they're consuming, you know, video on a television. So that's why, you know, this, this is growing at such a you know rapid rate. So it's the audience that broadcasters typically are looking for in the first place. And a lot of these are cord cutters, right? That's right. And cord cutting continues to, you know, continues to grow. Um, and, and, you know, if you're not a pure cord cutter, chances are in your second, third or fourth TV set, you're probably a cord cutter on that set and streaming. So it's, right. it's uh, there's some hybrid models as well. So I would just want to go back to that clarification on all these segments. These are being familiar with kind of cluster coding and segmentation from some of these uh, companies where we're doing it at 
what used to be at a block group level or at some geo demographic level where we get households birds of a feather concept. Is this a similar kind of modeled behavior a segmentation? Let's take your mortgage idea. So um, how, how would, uh, or, you know, Geico or, you know, uh, an insurance, uh, how are you identifying the segment of people most likely to be interested in? Is it trigger behavior? Is it buyer behavior? Is it modeled? Yeah, it depends on the data provider, on the data collector who who we're choosing, and each of them, you know, may have a, a slightly different um, collection and execution model. So, you know, on our platform, for example, let's say that we have a um, you know a credit union. They may decide that from a branding perspective, they want to do a radius around physical locations and do some branding spots, but perhaps they have a product that they're trying to reach actually folks who would not be quote unquote sort of in the neighborhood, um, maybe for a mortgage, right? So they want to go the, you know, much larger sort of geographical footprint, but they really just want to reach people that are in the market for a mortgage. Some of these uh, companies might take your online search behavior um, and, you know, mine that and then produce segments with IPs and device IDs that we then link to our system and can serve, you know, ad campaigns to these folks. And it's, and it, it's, it can, you know, I'll just use the mortgage example. It can be very segmented. So it's not just a mortgage. It's are you know, you know a, a VA mortgage or an FHA or a jumbo mortgage. You know, what type of mortgage actually? Do you own a home now? Are you a homeowner or renter? You know, what's your age group? And so, you know, based on any one of those things or multiple things, you could serve different ad campaigns. So if it's someone that's a, maybe a first time home buyer based on sort of their age and the fact maybe they're a renter. Um, you know, you, you would target sort of a different ad to that group than you would someone who's, you know, maybe, uh, you know, sort of an empty nester looking at a jumbo mortgage, you know, in more of a suburban urban area, right? So, you know, you can really delineate campaigns based on these segments themselves. But I thought we could also target down to the household level. Like, you this is why I was excited as a B2B marketer when work from home was really getting in our way of reaching decision makers, the thought in the early part of the pandemic was, well, we can actually connect the consumer record to the business record and we can find these executives sitting on their sofas at home watching CTV and give them a, a, a lead generation proposal. And that seemed to be working in the early days. Is that it? Am I fantasizing this? No, we can we can reach. Um, we do a lot of B two B marketing. Uh, we can reach business owners. You know, people who own certain types of businesses. We know that, and we can target those types of businesses. We can target people by professions. Um, you know, we've done uh, campaigns where we've done employee recruiting for hospitals to try to get you know registered nurses because you know they're short. Uh, on, on uh, you know, nursing uh, shortage, staffing shortages. So, you know, we can target B2B down to specific, you know, levels, um, you know, particularly in, in mid-market lending, you know, the sizes of businesses, right? So if you're trying to, you know, get business customers to a bank, for example, we can target um, specific sized businesses and then the specific decision makers at those uh, locations as well. Wow. I'm thinking about this as the um, marketer um, in an agency or as the, um, you know, the marketing director. And I'm thinking how complex this is going to create our world for the creative and the messaging. 
um, all of these different segments and I can get down to that level. And I thought, holy cow, what does this do to the How creative? many variations in your right. head? Yeah. It's yeah. one-to-one marketing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it can't, it can be. And, and, you know, obviously you have to have a video, you know, commercial, this is video, right. And typically 30 second ads, right. That you'd run on, on television. Cause this, you know, these ads are on your 50 inch, you know, TV screen that you're watching them on. So, um, and, and by the way, you know, all of the different, um, video sellers in a market, you know, there's between the broadcast and cable guys, there's usually three, four five plus ad agencies that can produce ads. So, it's not as expensive as you may think to produce a, you know, a video ad for, for some of our customers we have, and this is getting a little more complicated. It's called um, vast served dynamic creative and vast is actually the protocol that's in CTV and dynamic creative means that a third party is actually serving it. And we can change out um, data points in the actual commercial itself. So we uh, can, run one ad and for instance you could have different interest rates based on a location or different loan types based on the ip address that it's you know linked to um, we do this um, with quick serve restaurant chains we put the location actually of you know like panera bread in um, new york city has you know 85 locations so it would put the nearest location based on where that ip is and it does it dynamically but there's all sorts of different use cases uh, there is an extra, obviously, charge for this, but it's not really absorbent. And so that's how a lot of these sort of micro campaigns are done on the creative side. That's exciting. It reminds that's me of amazing. the early days of, of direct mail personalization. Yeah. Um, I'm sure lots of experimentation is going on. But there's such a large segment of companies that have been scared off of television over the years because they had to make massively larger media buys than they could ever absorb as, as target audiences. And they didn't have any experience in creative and production broadcasts. So are these new channels able to attract a successfully a company that had hitherto been afraid or, or found TV daunting? Yeah, I, I think so. You know, it's, it allows a small business, right? So if you're Chase Manhattan, you're going to advertise nationally, right? And the whole country or the you know, majority of the states you operate in. If you're a single or two or three location credit union in a certain market, the market may geographically still be too big or too expensive to advertise in. That's where you can do it geographically. So you can do certain zip codes or radius around certain locations. So you can have the same impact that Chase Manhattan has on, you know, one one hundredth or in some cases one one thousandth of a of a budget, um, you know, to the customers, frankly, that are really relevant to you, which are local, you know, customers. So um, I think it is bringing back, um, you know, people and new people into the you know, into sort of the, the television uh, advertising space. Neat. And we, we see that by the way, because we're a broadcaster. So we, 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 you know, we, when we run ads on linear broadcast, it's the whole market, they're expensive, it's, it's efficient, but if you don't need the whole market and you're specific, you certainly can, you know, be more efficient on a micro sort of zip code level. 
Right. I mean, we know how important local communication is and how so many companies are trying to micro target. And the perception is as the little guy um, that, you know, you couldn't possibly afford to do a commercial on, on TV. And so this really breaks that entire mold and says that, you know, now the Davids can compete with the Goliaths and, uh, and win. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, we've had single one location, you know, businesses to, you know, national or multi-state. And it's, it's also great because in some cases, depending on the industry you're in, if you operate in multiple states, you may need to include certain regulations, let's say, in your ad itself, right? And so um, you, you're able to do that sort of in this medium very efficiently. So, um, you know, we see that as well in certain industries. That's awesome. Like I'm thinking MedSup, just because I, you know, we do a lot of work in the insurance market where every single state has its own, like, you know, rules and regs and T's and C's. And it would have been an impossibility to advertise and do a national campaign when Oklahoma is incredibly different than Minnesota. So you can data have data driven different requirements. Um, You know, Brian, you mentioned, which is so interesting that this technology um, is particularly important for our Gen Z and millennials who now have so many connected devices. Uh, As we're looking over the horizon at what's to come, uh, what would you want to share with uh, us and our audience, our marketers, as to what we should be looking forward to and thinking about? Well, you know, it's it's growing um, more and becoming a little more digital-like because there's um, no cookies. It's it, 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 There's no cookie-enabled technology. It does operate fundamentally different, but you're starting to see some of the same um measurement uh, KPIs and measurement opportunities that you'd see on the digital side in connected TV. I'll give you one example. Um, We, our particular platform can do, uh, it's called uh, web-based attribution. So if we serve a campaign in a market, let's say it's 100,000 ad impressions, we can determine who goes to a specific website. So we install a a light uh, pixel piece of code on a client's website and we can actually track people whom we served an ad to and then went to that particular advertiser's website. And so that's, we call that web attribution. And so that's a relatively sort of new, um, you know, functionality, but I think you're going to see more and more um, sort of ROI and KPI type metrics that we're going to be able to do in this uh, space as, you know, it continues to evolve and grow. But I'm still a little confused here. Uh, we're still talking in broadcast terminology, mostly. We're selecting segments based on demographics. I, I thought that this was allowing us to actually use our first-party data, maybe, or our third-party data to target individuals at their homes or through whatever connected device, and then theoretically connect it to multi-channel campaigns that are used through addressable media and add broadcast into our existing multi or omni-channel campaigns. Have I misunderstood? Well, there's a lot there with that question, but let me, let me sort of unpack it a little bit. Um, 
Yes, uh, to everything. Um, we can do, uh, at least our platform can do the onboarding of first party data. So we work with a, a, a company, they're the biggest in the space, a lot of uh, folks work with called LiveRamp, yep. where we can take a customer CRM data, uh, the, the customer uploads that into LiveRamp, and it produces what's called ramp IDs. And, and these ramp IDs are anonymized sort of numbers that uh, we're able to use. And the reason we do that is it's CCPA compliant, which is uh, California's data privacy rules. Each state yeah. has their own data privacy rules. California being the most restrictive, you know, if you're a big media company like Sinclair, usually becomes the lowest common denominator. So we follow those because they're the most restrictive. And what, the, what really at the heart of the CCPA is it's protecting PII data. So that's personally identifiable information that, you know, we don't want to know the person's social security number or their credit card number. So by uploading the first party data and converting it to a ramp ID as a currency, that ramp ID can then be matched to the ramp IDs on our platform. And we can serve an ad campaign to that uh, group of people. So we have, uh, for instance, one large regional bank in the Pacific Northwest that does a retention campaign. So they've uploaded all their first party data and it's a branding sort of retention campaign for their for their customers that you know we're able to do uh, with first party data. The third party data, those are just provided by large you know companies and they're refreshed frequently and you know that's sort of table stakes really in this um, you know in this in this business. And then you mentioned broadcast. There are some attribution models that we can look at when someone's running a broadcast campaign and an OTT campaign, we can look at what is the incremental reach of one or the other, uh, has it overlays. And there are two uh, partners that we work with on that. One is called TV Squared, the other is LG Alfonso that we uh, you know, work with to, to accomplish that when and where we need to. Thank you. That's a great insights. Thank you, Brian. Before we let you go, um, Many of our audience are looking at career opportunities and, you know, where they may want to take their future. And this sounds like a really interesting place um, for many people to be looking at expanding into what kind of qualifications or what kind of talent are you looking for if you wanted to uh, hire into this area or what skills should somebody have if they want to really attack this? Yeah, um... Well, I will tell you, anyone with a data science degree, feel free to apply because we've got many, <laughs> many openings uh, with with that. It's a it's a hot major. But no, it, seriously, it, it is, um, you know, it's it's sort of the use of data, how to upload data, how to think about the systems of how data interacts with one data set versus another. Um, you know, there are, you know, in, increasingly sort of particularly in the mid-market, Marketers have been great over the last five to even a decade, really, at collecting data, but no one actually is really good, at least in the mid-market, at actually harvesting that data and activating it for some useful marketing case. So, you know, having the ability or knowledge to do that, you know, companies like LiveRamp and others uh, that can activate that data um, is, I, I think, you know, a great sort of set. And, and you're seeing that, by the way, in some of the acquisitions that have taken place recently in the space. Um, TransUnion, for example, 
bought uh, TrueOptic, which was the leading CTV sort of device graph company. They renamed it TrueAudience. And then they went out and bought Newstar. Newstar was the largest data company in the world. It's now owned by TransUnion. And they have an identifier called Fabrique that's similar to Ramp IDs. So you can kind of see some of these bigger players and, and the moves they're making. And it's 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 you know pivoting to be sort of omni-channel across all platforms, including TV. Fantastic. Thank you for an incredibly exciting and informative discussion, Brian. Thank you. I uh, appreciate you. The, uh, the opportunity. Lovely. Great. Thank you, Brian. Oh, my, Ruth. I feel like I just sat through a master class in 20 minutes. Wasn't that so insightful? He was a find. I feel he so much smarter on this topic. Me too. And, you know, one of the revelations to me in all of this is that we, he demystified that a broadcast is not what it used to be. You know, we used to think broadcast was advertising, untargeted, a broad-based. And what we just learned or, you know, got reinforced for those of us in the audience who knew this, that this is an extremely valuable tool in our omni-channel, multi-channel toolbox that allows for segmentation, for targeting. You can combine it with your other channels um, in a geodemographic format. It has so many more capabilities for us marketers than just broad-based advertising impressions. And that it's still kind of in its infancy, it's growing so fast. There's still a lot of dynam dynamics in the category. Companies are buying each other up. There are new right. entrants. It's just an innovation hub. And that means an opportunity. The opportunities are going to continue to emerge and the, the creativity and the the marketing effectiveness, I think, is going to continue to deliver. Sounds like a great category to be operating in as a marketer it, today. It sure does. And, you know, when I heard him talking 30,000 segments and, you know, all of this dynamic content, I thought, oh, my goodness, the creative people are going to have an absolute heart attack. I don't want to sit there and write 30,000 versions of content <laughs> and figure out how to match it up. But then when he mentioned vast serve dynamic creative, mm. and we've got now technology that facilitates our ability to really do a personalization, run one ad, have things like different interest rates and different geos have different T's and C's if you're in different states. I mean, it got me all excited because it's data-driven dynamic content that you and I have been thrilled about and goes back to our DM roots. Seems but, like, yeah, in certain industry categories, obviously financial services, he had a lot of examples. I could also see it working in healthcare, in automotive, and other categories where there is data and will likely never, well, maybe don't say never, um, the one-to-one -one marketing communications vision that emerged in the, say, the 80s ha has taken a step forward. But we all know that it's, <laughs> it's very unlikely that we're going to ever be at a point where it'll be economical to show 
a, a red dress to one household and a blue dress to the other. Um, right. Who, who, who really knows? But certainly the idea of access to a personalizable, customizable, close to one-to-one channel like this. There's another point, Cindy, people, marketers of many more stripes can afford this now. I loved your David versus Goliath (laughs) comment. If um, this penetrates more deeply into medium and small business who start getting their hands dirty with experimenting in what was otherwise a truly unattainable channel. Correct. You know, um, that's how I met Brian when I said I was on this um, uh, webinar with him and um, Whitefish Credit Union that had won Mm. a whole pile of uh, awards Hmm. for a Super Bowl commercial. And I thought to myself, Whitefish Montana's on the Super Bowl? What's the what's the ROI for that? But he used the CTV to do hyper-local targeting. He had uh, a, a small budget. They did this fantastic video. And it was like, th- it was eye-opening to see that, that whole, you know, David Goliath, that it doesn't have to be the big brands we're used to. Mm. We can really do this at a very cost-effective level level and be hyper local. So I'm glad you brought that yeah. up. Yeah. And then maybe so if the if we're thinking about our three little piggies piggies, we might say, okay, the first one is that this is an an important tool to be experimenting with now in our multi-channel, omni-channel campaigning. If you're not trying it out, you're you're missing out. Yep. And the second piggy might be it's more affordable than we would have ever dreamed. So mm-hmm. there's good reason to to try it out for that reason as well. And then the third, maybe the point that you brought up, what what should our students and you know early career marketers think about this thing? How, how would you summarize, Cindy, your advice well. to students about about this stuff? I loved his statement, you know, data scientists, please apply. (laughs) Um, You know, there are lots of jobs waiting for you, but he did put a caveat on that. It isn't just about individuals who can crunch numbers and capture data. It's people who can activate data, who Mm. can create insights from data. And that's where if you think about blending the art and the science of problem solving, uh, not just data collection, making decisions that are informed, data informed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is for you, man. This is a great opportunity. And I would, I would say, if you're thinking, where shall my, where shall I go with my career? I would say this sounds like a great place to start. It's in early days. Mm-hmm. It's growing. Careers are going to be made in this area, so. This is a, a, a wonderful playground for junior and you know early marketing careers, I would say. The future is here, Ruth. Here you go. Thank you, Cindy. You've been listening to WVU Marketing Horizons, hosted by Ruth Stevens and Cindy Greenglass. Please be sure to visit go.wvu.com. 
edu slash MC today to view our upcoming conversations, listen to previous discussions, and subscribe to receive updates.